0: The history of alternative
1: podcast, a historic look back at everything alternative.
0: The methods, the ways in which we listen to music have changed and evolved plenty through the years, though in some ways we're right back where we started. The 33 and a third record debuted in 1948, 19 years before Kurt Cobain was born, and the record, vinyl in general, fell off the map completely in the early 21st century. We'll come back to that in a sec. Cassettes debuted in the 60s and, unlike records, could fit in a lot more music, 45 minutes per side, and they were also easy to carry around. Not long after cassettes became a thing, 8-track tapes came along. The less said about them, the better, but they were another way to listen to commercially produced music until the end of the 80s. The thing that put vinyl, cassettes, and 8-tracks on notice was the compact disc. CDs debuted in the 80s. They were compact, though in a different way from cassettes, easier to preserve than vinyl and cassettes, and had better sound quality than some of the competing mediums. CDs really were the dominant way people listened to music at home and in the car through the 90s. And of course, the internet killed the CD. Once people could burn their playlists onto CDRs and download music from the internet, there was no longer a need to spend 10 to 20 bucks on a new CD. Did I say internet? From peer-to-peer services like Napster and LimeWire at the turn of the century, to iTunes and iPods in the aughts, to streaming services like Spotify over the past 10 years, The internet has become the source of our music consumption. But the interesting thing that's happened as the internet's taken over our lives is the resurgence of vinyl. For older fans, there's the nostalgic aspect. For younger listeners, buying records is a way to support your favorite bands. And for both, it's a way to have something tangible, something experiential tied to music listening. And we are 100% behind vinyl's modern-day resurgence. This is the History of Alternative
2: Podcasts. I'm James Van Ossel, and that's Sean Manley. The History of Alternative podcast is furnished by St. Xavier University. St. Xavier University educates students for competence, character, and career success through high-quality programs and clear college-to-career pathways. Celebrating 175 years, that's a long time, James, of a rich mercy and Catholic tradition. At SXU, you find the best in you. This week, it's all about
0: vinyl. The vinyl renaissance is real, and it's not slowing down. Our guest is Andy Weber. He is the co-owner, co-founder of Smash Plastic, the only record-pressing facility in the state of Illinois. Andy, vinyl record sales were up close to 30% last year, up to $619 million. Why do you think that number isn't only going up, it's skyrocketing?
1: Yeah, it could actually double this year. I mean, it's completely out of control already. Um, What was the question? Why? Why? Yeah, why, why do you think ever, why do you think
0: it keeps going up? Why 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 is this just well, going stratospheric?
1: I mean, the first the first and foremost is we all know because we are vinyl listeners. I mean, it's part of it is just the experience of it all being able to in in the fast times we're dealing with today, as you were kind of outlining the history, music was a little bit more about being out on the go. And I think people have kind of brought that back to being a home thing now, and especially during the pandemic, that's really exploded. It's, it's having that experience of sitting down and putting that record on and actually taking the 24 minutes to listen to a side or 48 minutes to listen to an entire record. I think it's more therapeutic than it is anything else. And, you know, going back to digital-only releases kind of thing, it's, it's tangible. It's something that you actually own. You know, we all grew up talking about owning a record. You would, you'd talk smack to your friends saying, yeah, I own that record. Not, like, in once it became Spotify, it was like, I, I own all those records. It's on my phone. <laughs> but, like, what what is that? So I think those are two of the reasons for sure I could go on and on. I mean, Fidelity is actually on our side as well. I think the sound you get out of a record. I mean, just last night, actually, I, I was, was streaming something digitally just because it was something new out was, that wasn't on vinyl, and I wanted to hear it. Then I went back to vinyl, and I was like, oh, man. It, it's just... It's night and day, the zeros and ones don't quite give you what that needle does running over a groove. So I think fidelity's on our side and there's something actually happening when a record is being being played. It's it's actually physically making a sound. And I think that matters a lot to people. And I sometimes think I'm putting it in words and that's the way people are thinking. They may not know exactly why they like vinyl, but this is, if you really start to think about your experience with it, that's, that's why. It, it's had that resurgence i believe
2: i think you really hit the nail on the head with the um experience aspect of it where you are um you know it's so easy to just press play on a phone and listen to 10 seconds of something and you're zapping into the next one and i think there really is especially in the 21st century there is a um joy that comes with you got to sit down and just deal with what happens for the next 25 minutes. Right. And there, there is something to that. I think you really touched on something uh, with, with that statement. When did all of this start? When was the vinyl resurgence beginning? Was there a touching point that kind of the catalyst to all of this or did it just kind of sneak up on everybody?
1: I think it it did. I think, I think it did kind of sneak up on people because I think a, if you talk to certain collectors, it never went away. But as far as what was being produced with new music, you really started to see the fires smoldering at the really at the end of the 90s, all the way to the beginning of the 2000s, and you know just to go back to a little bit of what I was thinking about as we were starting the very early stages of this business. I would always say to my business partners or to naysayers, I would always say, "Hey, listen, I know that on the in the independent world." of what's happening here in Chicago. I know that records were being produced in this town 10, 15 years ago. And it, it, if this is the bubble we're sitting on, those people are still going to be producing those records 10, 15 years from now. So I'm not sure there was any one thing that kind of flipped the tide. I think it was just a matter of this this little spark was smoldering and more and more people are jumping into the room for all the right reasons we were just talking about.
0: I think there's an interesting generational adoption of the medium i have a younger son who in, in my wildest dreams i never thought i would have a kid that would collect vinyl and he's watched me do it and kids are supposed to rebel but he started playing along with with my habit and he now does mail order for stuff uh he's at school right now and he said dad i'm getting the new architect's record don't open it i'm not going to listen to it online i'm going to wait until i get home to hear it And he wants to hear it on vinyl. It's so, I mean, for vinyl to survive, it really needed to make that generational jump, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, But I also think that I I know a lot of people, I'm almost 48 years old, and I know a lot of people my age that are jumping back into it now as well. And I think it is that slowdown of the lifestyle and things like that. But I do agree with you, James. I think that it it being fueled, and it, it needs to continue to be fueled by the younger generation. You don't want them giving up on it because at the end of the day, Music and rock and roll in particular is a young man's game. It's why we all still like associating with it, because it makes us feel young. And to have those young people involved, it's, it's also essential. So I think you're right.
2: How much has Record Store Day played into uh, this resurgence?
1: Well, it's interesting. Obviously, as far as the vinyl industry goes, it's, it's very big as far as the resurgence goes. It's it's funny because it has very little impact on us here. We actually try to avoid record sort day releases because all it's gonna do, we're a pretty small shop and it's gonna clog up our press for other local releases that are gonna be done around that time. So, but yeah, I mean, I think, look, I mean, one of the things I tell people a lot Is the way we've been allowed to exist in this world and be able to buy one press and start a small business here in Chicago that that services just Chicago is because the major labels jump back into vinyl. It became a cash cow for them. It's something that they've already have done. They just have to remaster it and have it repressed. They don't have to pay for the rights and all the other stuff you have to do when you're starting a brand new release. So that's helped, and that is what clogged up all the major plants probably about five, six, eight years ago, and it's continuing to do so today in a you know, record-breaking fashion. And that's actually, so the record store day is actually really good for us and good for the industry because it does put that influx out there. And it's going back to you know kind of the first question. I mean, that is just, if it's peaking interest for the customer, for the consumer, that's great. And that's good. And it helps the independent record stores and all that. But as far as, as we go, it, it's very little impact.
0: Can you clear something up? This is something that makes me absolutely insane. And maybe this is an old man thing on my part. When people say I bought the vinyl or I bought a vinyl instead of saying I bought a record, they're records, right? It's not vinyl store day. It's record store day.
1: Yeah. And I personally cannot stand vinyl as a plural. The Thank vin- you. vinyls. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't fly with me it makes me crazy i I call them records (laughs) vinyl is in 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 our world vinyl is the raw material a record is the finished product so i mean obviously it's kind of interchangeable i'm nitpicking but yeah i would like I, i would prefer the record term i'm with you james
2: Uh, I'm going to remind myself this constantly through the rest of the pod. Do not say vinyl. Do not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You could say vinyl is fine. It's just vinyls. I don't understand it. I I don't get it.
2: All right. Well, let's play. Let's play record pressing for dummies. (laughs) Um, Professor, how the heck does a record get made?
1: Well, I'll tell you this. I've been doing this now for two and a half years and I can easily say a record gets a really good sounding record gets made out of a pure miracle. Um, There's a lot. It's a long process that from start to finish has a lot of different hands in it. And we are just kind of the finishing product here at Smash Plastic. We have the press and we are the ones who actually finish the record. Now, we take clients from the beginning to the end. um, But yes. So the actual record, you know, you walk out of a studio, you need to have your record made what you're like, hey, I've got this mastered, it's ready to go. Well, next thing you need to do is have it mastered for vinyl. And what that means is a vinyl master who also tends to have a lathe as well, who cuts the record, also known as cutters, um, they will figure out what, how, the, how the record should fit on each side, and most importantly, how the range of frequency is going to work within the grooves. Because you, the one thing you do have with a record is you, that, that you – don't have a digital is you have a finite amount of space to fit your music. If you think about a record on a microscopic level, um, it's a V groove and there's only so much within that groove of little bumps that you can put. So, so your high end can sometimes come off and your low end can get too far down. So those guys are the real geniuses in this business. They're the ones who take your sound and cut it to a lacquer. Now that lacquer then gets shipped off to what is called electroplating plant. And that's kind of the one mystery, I think, within the business sometimes. It's actually the one thing I've never seen live. Um, I am going to rectify that this year once we feel safe to travel. I'm going to go spend some time at a plating plant because it's one of these mysteries that we can't figure out why. why Why does it make it sound worse? I don't understand. Why does it make it sound better? Anyway. Um, the the lacquers then go off to a plating plant and they get silvered. You create a what is called a mother out of that that then can can make many different negatives of that record, which is what a plate becomes. And it's a thin piece of nickel that then is shipped to us here at the plant, put on our press. They fit on our molds and then we can make the records out of that. So. It is when I say it's a miracle. It it takes a lot of care and a lot of effort between the artists, us, the plating plant, and the lacquer cutters to problem solve and make sure we're putting out a really good sounding record. So it it isn't as easy as one may think, and maybe and it's definitely not as easy as I think we thought it might have been when we jumped into the business too.
2: Um, do records today? sound different than records of old? Like, Have the Wizards gotten better at this, or is there a difference in quality?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Without a doubt, the quality is getting higher. The um, attention to detail is getting higher. For any of you that are collectors, you know that you you pull out a Prince record from 1984 and it's like a thin sheet of notebook paper. Mm -hmm. Um, The production value back then was a lot less the um, everything. Some of the sound quality as well. Now, I'm sure you could have You know, vintage collectors would argue this all day long, but we do produce a we produce a much thicker record here than most of the country in the world. um, That was by design. And it's most of that's for more durability than anything else. I mean, if you're going to spend thirty dollars on this product or twenty five or twenty or whatever that may be, I feel like the consumer should actually have something that feels durable and nice. And And that's kind of the demand now. Um, as far as fidelity goes, yeah, I think there's way more attention paid to the audio quality going into the product to begin with. And then I think I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously very biased, but you have a pressing plant here where the owners are you know, the people who have who have the, the whose butts are on the line are the ones who are also listening to the records. And it's not just being done in a large factory. So that can only add to the quality of it.
0: So you mentioned the, you know, Prince record in 1984, and it's true. Those records back in the day were flimsy. So is 180 gram. That's what you see on all the, all the records. Is is that the solution? Is that what you're pressing?
1: So we press it about a hundred and what we, what we call our standard is 160 gram record. We we will do 180 as well. Um, our records end up being more like almost 170 grams, but we, we aim for that 160. Um, after a while, so the the idea is you're you're just got a larger groove that the the, the needle can ride in, and the truth be told, 180 is a bit of a marketing ploy uh, more than anything else, in my opinion. The 160 is going to sound just the same. I don't. I, we've taste tested 80 180s next to 160s, and it's virtually. I mean, I'm sure someone out there might be able to find a difference, but a lot of it comes back to that durability thing that I was talking about. You know we rely so much on shipping now and mail order. And I've had clients tell, tell me how much they enjoy you working with us and having the thicker record because they can now send, they're sending one individual record out to somebody and they're getting a lot less return on that as far as records being warped or yeah. problems with it. So I think that's, that's where a lot of the value is. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying about, you know, if you're, if you're at the price points we're talking about, You know, we were paying $7.99 for a record back in the day and everybody was buying it. Now, if you're spending, you know, $60 on a reissue of something, I think the quality should be there.
2: Agreed. Are you noticing as well, uh, as far as quality production value, um, kind of being worked towards actual producing for records versus MP3s? I mean, I know all of us that work in kind of broadcasting radio audio uh you know we laugh at nowadays you know any any piece of audio is just a brick is what it looks like there's no high end loan it's just a big chunk of compression is it helping now that with vinyl's resurgence and it kind of being such a big player in the game now albums being produced for vinyl versus you know sending just the chunked up processed thing and going put this on a record audio nerd yeah i thank you
1: you know that the questions way better suited for an audio engineer i think but i do think that because there is such a demand for vinyl those guys have to pay attention to it way more and if it does get to a vinyl master and it's something that is so out of whack, you know kind of the brick you're talking about within a waveform, you can't fit it within to a groove, so i think that they have to pay way more attention to that because the demand for the for vinyl is there or records, sorry, the the demand is there for, for the consumer end. So, yeah, I think that they have to be way more cognizant of that because it's also what the band wants, too, most of the time. The band doesn't care as much what the streaming is going to sound like as they do with what the test pressing is going to sound like.
0: One thing I loved as a kid, and I'm loving again as an adult, I mean, what is old is, is new again, or, what, yeah, is going to record stores. I mean, I spent my childhood and every allowance going to record stores and I'm spending my adulthood and every weekend spending my paychecks at record stores. What makes a record store great?
1: Wow. Um, I think, I think part of it's the hunt, you know, especially if you're buying used um, or new sometimes, you know, especially with the way things are getting released nowadays, it's not like you, you know, you just go to the new release section, you find exactly what you're looking for. So I think, I think part of it's the hunt, right? I think that, How how often do you go into a record store and you think you're going to buy record A and you come back with X, Y, and Z? So you know, I think I think that's part of it. Plus, there's there's a community aspect to it. Obviously, we haven't been dealing with that a lot, but I think that's part of the fun of it. You know, getting to know the most, especially our independent stores here in town. A lot of them have the owners are there working, and they're more than willing to talk to you about music and just sit back and, and it, it becomes a community. It becomes kind of a fun place. So I think that the record store goes hand in hand with what we do here.
2: Uh, I actually just got to experience this firsthand over the weekend. Um, my nephew is 14 slash the age where they start to understand music in their own way. And uh, we got to take him uh, record store shopping this weekend. And it was it was really one of those moments where like, this is really great just to watch a kid it's it's kind of like you just watch you're watching yourself right where it's like man i remember walking into this place and like the smell and it was weird and there were strange people and (laughs) old crusty records next to really new ones and i didn't know anything and to watch him go through it and kind of you know pull the vinyl and all that it was it was really an incredible experience
1: yeah i think most of our love started at a record store right mine did and you, you always, we you always kind of went in a little intimidated in the first place. And you're kind of like, wait, these guys know way more than me. And then you kind of glom onto the one guy in the store who knows a little bit more than everybody else is willing to share with you. And then all of a sudden that guy becomes your best friend. And, you know, you're, you're sneaking into shows downtown right after that. Like it's, it's, that's at least that's, that was my experience. And I imagine that's most people's experience and yeah, but, but nice to know that's not going away and it's coming back. So that's
0: very cool. Well, you said the magic word, community. I, I I keep coming back to this concept that curation is dying on the vine. Real, authentic, non-algorithmic curation. Finding stuff that interests you through trusted voices. It's kind of a lost art. That's what record stores do. To your point, Andy, you walk in, you get to know, oh, that's the guy who's into punk rock. I know if I have a certain, if I want to go down the, you know, West coast punk rock road. He's going to point me in the right direction of stuff. I haven't heard being able to, to go into a record store and say, I'm interested in this kind of music and they could put on a record so you can listen to it. Oh, if you like this, you should try this. I love that aspect of it. It is that community and curation thing.
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I also think, you know, it's, it's no different than what you guys do in radio. And we've lost that, you know, the, the idea that a human, can make those critical decisions and match up two genres that maybe shouldn't even quite go together, but it works. And an algorithm can't do that. So I think we're going to see, I think the, the nice thing about what's happening here with vinyl and what we're discussing today, I think that's going f- to move over into other things and at different aspects of our life. And I think that human curation thing is you're hitting the nail on the head, James. I think you're dead, right. It's, I think we need more of that. We have so much noise. We have so much instant news and instant music and instant that like it does. The value does need to come back to the human side of it.
2: Did you hear that, James? Radio's coming back. Yes, I
1: knew it. I knew it. <laughs> well, you're talking to a radio guy. So, you know, like it's it's never gone away for me. I, I love every aspect of radio.
2: Well, thank you very much. We appreciate <laughs> that. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here, uh, but you're an expert. So I hope you have a good answer for this. Um thinking about my nephew and taking him out for his first trip to the record store. What is one must-have record for anyone's collection?
1: Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like that's an even harder I always get the question of what's your favorite record or what's your top 5 records, so I always have like canned answers for that. This one's a much harder question because it's kind of much more of a how do you it's a jumping off point, right? Oh yeah. Um you know the Velvet Underground, the, the self-titled record, you know, it's kind of like go back to the genesis of independent music. I think it's kind of that record. So that would be one of them for me, because I think if you kind of look at, if you want to look at how that progressed through the 70s and into the 80s and the 90s, I think if you were to ask the replacements, what was an influential record, they would say that, you know, if you asked REM, they would say that. So I kind of feel like that's a good starting point. I always say that, and then if like you know, and then punk, it's more like you know Stooges and MC Five. It's like those those Genesis records, if you will, like the beginning of that movement that I think we're still in the middle of today. I guess so. It's a good question. So that's just really off the top of my head. I like that. I'm gonna have a new canned answer now.
0: Good. good. <laughs> yeah, you have your work cut out for you. Yeah. So getting back to Smash Plastic, making vinyl or making records is very much an independent musician's dream and goal. I know you work with tons of independent artists Uh, before we cut you loose. Can you share some of the artists that you've been working with that you press records for?
1: Oh my, Um, I I don't even know where to begin. Um, You know, the nice thing is we have done a pretty good job of putting a net around Chicago. And I think I would say 90% of the music coming out of the city right now is coming through here. If it's on vinyl Um, and yeah, it, it's nice because we're working new and old and big and small. Everything from, um, you know, we've we've worked with Wilco. We've, you know, we've, we're we working with, as I, we've talked about off air, I'm working with some wax track stuff, some reissued classic things that are happening here in Chicago. But I think what I still get most excited about is the smaller bands. It is the guys who are doing their first record. And the people I get excited for when they, have to do a repressing and they're coming back and they did 250 the first time and they're doing 250 the second time. And it's like, that's really cool because that to me is, is how this whole thing, you know, progresses as we go down the line. Um, You know, what, if I want to stay in business for 10 years, those guys have to get big and they have to keep coming back. And those, those, all the people that we listened to growing up are just kind of, hopefully they'll all still be around, but you know what I mean? It goes back to your youthful, edge of this whole music Mm -hmm. thing that we're doing so i'm not sure i answered your question
0: no you you totally did (laughs) what's it like for those first time record creators when you bring them into the listening room and they get to hear that that mastered recording or that that what's the word for a a test pressing
1: test pressing you know know. that's what we'd call it when you come in and listen to it Um,
0: What, what, what are their facial expressions like how are they reacting when they get to hear that for the first time
1: so i always say i have a really people will say you have a really cool job and i'll say yeah but it's cool for different reasons than you may think and one of the real reasons is, is that you get to see these guys who maybe maybe they'll only release one record in their entire life but they've come to us and they they put their blood sweat and tears into it and They've they've written this music for the last 10 years and they've ponied up the money and now they're in here and they're getting the and and by the way they get the red carpet treatment the same way a, a large band would in here um, but the reactions are the coolest things in the world we have been hugged we have had people cry in here most of the time i mean people high fives uh, we you know guys have brought in 12 packs and never left um, so yeah it's it's really truly one of the joys of this and also On top of that, um, a lot of artists that maybe have done 10, 20 records in their entire life have never seen a record being pressed. And for them to come in here and actually see their record being pressed, they get emotional because they're like, man, we've done this so often and we've never even seen this process. So that is one of the true joys of doing what I get to do for a living is that human interaction, which we haven't had enough of this year, um, is is truly priceless. So yeah, you hit the nail on the head and it's and it's fun and it's and it's rarely ever angry or upset or anything like that. It is always joy and happiness. So it's really cool.
0: So inevitably we'll we'll have a lot of musicians listening to this podcast episode. If they're interested where should they go? The what the website?
1: Uh yeah. Yeah, smashplastic.com is the best way to jump off. We have a little uh, questionnaire you could fill out right on the front page up in the corner You click on that and um, our businessman a human will actually get back to you with pricing it's not a bot and um, we, we'll just start the ball rolling because we get the, we get the initial few questions answered and then it just turns into about a thousand more questions and that's how this process works but yeah the, the website's the best jumping off
0: point. Andy thank you for doing this.
1: Oh thank you it was a pleasure. The History of Alternative podcast is recorded at the 101 WKQX Studios in Chicago. Subscribe on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't do drugs. Stay in school.